This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber. My guests are three artists involved with the production of Night and Day, the Tom Stoppard play currently uh, showing at Remy Bumpo, James Bonin, the artistic director of the company and the director of this show, and Ernest Perry and Greg Anderson, two of the company members. And I thought it would be interesting to talk uh, with these three about performing and directing Stoppard, um, which is a very particular style of writing, I think, of playwriting. And uh, James, in particular, has a lot of experience with Stoppard. Um, and this is also a very interesting uh, play from the point of view of when it happened in his career and some special challenges that it affords. So, uh, James, maybe you could just start telling us your experience uh, directing Stoppard. Oh, gosh, it's wonderfully challenging. Uh, I have directed him, been fortunate to direct many of his plays. And I was just talking to the understudies downstairs about the his rhythms are so insistent and so clear, and his arguments are so clear. He's like Shaw in that way. But it puts a tremendous burden on the actors to learn the language as it's written, mm-hmm, because right. it's it's a little bit like um, you know the great contemporary American writer for the for TV and and movies, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, you you just once you bounce out of that rhythm, it's so obviously mm-hmm, wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just one of those people who who's the way he organizes his thoughts and the way he organizes his arguments are thrilling to listen to and very challenging both as a director and actors, I think, um, because you, you have to, due to the complexity, you really, the actors have to get the arguments so clearly in their heads that it can just flow effortlessly out. Mm-hmm. But every little hook has to be connected for the audience's ear or the, right. the, or the arguments just become so complicated that the audience can't find it. Mm-hmm. And then the other crucial aspect of it, and I think this is also absolutely true with Shaw, is then connecting it to the, the passionate thing in the stomach the and the person. heart that are mm-hmm. driving the arguments out. Mm-hmm. And this is a play, unlike many of Stoppard's play, this, this is a play that's very contained in its place in its time and the, and they're very very high stakes all the way through the play which is very unlike uh, especially the plays that preceded this play mm-hmm. this play was written in the late 70s and it was his sort of first crack at a, a play that had a conventional storyline mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes it a little unusual for him at that point but it's kind of the natural hinge in his career because after this he did the real thing and then went on to do much more kind of personal kind of writing, yeah. a writing that was much more based on characters. Yeah. He was still, you know, sort of focused on ideas right. when he when he created this play. Not that he isn't always fascinated by ideas, but he hinged them on to people right. after this play, I think. Well, and your use of the word argument over and over obviously emphasizes that. So I'd be interested to hear from Greg and, and from Ernest what specific challenges or strategies that afforded you or ways that you addressed addressed that challenge. I don't know. What's what's so great about James is that uh, as someone who's directed a lot of Shaw and Shakespeare, his um, he he's a uh, he's great at guiding you through what are some terrifically long uh, 
argument. I mean, they're, they're just structured. They, they last. Mm-hmm. There are clauses upon clauses within sentences, uh, little bits that are dropped uh, a few pages before that you need to tie back to, you know, that, that many pages later. Yeah. Um, but it's like, uh, it's like uh, what I can imagine driving some sort of muscle car would be like uh, that you aspire. It's, it's exhilarating. I mean, to have your, your, your mouth around those things is, is, is just exhilarating. It's how we wish we could all communicate, I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, but um, uh, so it's, it's immensely challenging, but it's, it's the exhilarating uh, fun of it all, which makes it so rewarding. Well, you, you mentioned one of the issues being that you have to connect these very long arcs of thought. And this is Greg, we're, talking to right now. Um, mm. So are there any tricks you can describe? Is it enough that you just understand it and have it in mind and something magically happens that it communicates? Or are there specific actory tricks that you can use to, for instance, remind us of something you said four pages ago that you're now referring to? Um, I don't I don't know if I'd call it a, a trick. I mean, I guess, I guess you could... You know, you could look at it technically and say, you know, I need I need to hear this better in this scene so that when I hear it again, it resonates. Mm-hmm. But I think um, and you're just talking about specifically just specific, enunciating, yeah, or just or just you know hitting operative words and phrases. But I think most importantly, it's endowing um, those 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 long arcs uh, initially with a certain emotional uh, value, mm-hmm. so that that emotional quality is what resonates later is that, is that dropping that and making these things of, of utmost importance to these people, um, specific, these arguments about politics, about the unions, about the importance of a free press is that grounding them deep into these people, uh, emotionally is, is I think what will translate to an audience who might not be hearing the argument, but it, it will grow, uh, in their, their, their understanding will grow mm-hmm. if they can tap into the emotional stakes for these people. And I think that's where our, our best efforts to communicate with them probably lie. And then you can get technical. But Do you have a different answer, Ernest? I don't know. I just know that uh, my man is like one of those uh, Google Maps that you uh, get when you don't know where you're going. And then they lay it out step by step where you're supposed to go, and then you end up in the right place. Well, that's what James did for me in this. You know, it's like, okay. I mean, I like these kinds of challenges because uh, Alice Childress, she writes with this kind of uh, where you have to be very specific. August Wilson, William Shakespeare, Stoppard, you know, you, you can't mess around. You have to be exact because he's right. Once you go off that rhythm, boom, everybody in the house knows. Feels it. You know, yeah. yeah. And it's really nice. But uh, he was able to guide me through. And I really love it, you know, because, I mean, I've been a fan for a little while now. I've been on work with Remy Bumpo and then, when I came to see the island, uh, it just blew me away. I said, okay, this cat know what he's doing. I got to work with him. Uh, I like working with people that know what they're doing. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's, it's really been a, a pleasure for me, you know. I didn't really realize how tough this cat was, Stoppard, as well as Mr. Monterey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even having done him before, you know, it still it wasn't as difficult as this piece is, you know. Why don't you describe who your character is and talk about if there are any specific challenges connected to who you're playing? Right. I play um, the president of uh, an African country, Ginku Magiba. 
And uh, naturally, like all African leaders, he has uh, a copper mine, which he uses <laughs> to um, uh, support his uh, armed forces and try and funnel money uh, to the government. And then, like most African leaders, he has a uh, an adversary, you know, who wants to succeed uh, from Kambawe. Uh, 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 and so you have a conflict there, and then folks come in trying to understand this conflict between the two leaders, trying to resolve it, report on it, you know, and not get it quite right. But mm -hmm. That's what's going on, you know. Yeah, I, I really like that because, I mean, come on, you know. I mean, how how often do you get to play an African leader, you know? They give all the roles to Morgan Freeman, you know. <laughs> James Earl Jones. The African leaders in God. Mor yeah. Morgan Freeman wasn't available, by yeah. the way. <laughs> So, On the yeah. contrary, you yeah. cast Ernest over yeah, him, yeah, right? Yeah, it was cool. Right. It was really cool. But, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. But you have to stay on this script every day. Uh, mm. I was telling my man who's understanding me, I said, man, you're in trouble if you don't read this bad boy every day. Yeah. You've got to read him every day, sometimes yeah. twice a day. I read him three times yesterday and still blew the ending line. You know, it was like, wow, I don't think uh. I did that. You know, but you got to be on it. you got to really stay focused. Well, you have a, a particular challenge because you only appear in the second act for a, a I don't know. It's a reasonably long yeah. scene, but it's one scene. About 20 minutes. And, yeah, yeah, but it's brutal. Well, and it's the climax of the yeah, play in but, many ways. But it's brutal that up to that point, everyone else has been on stage. Right. I haven't. Right. I don't have the luxury of making a mistake. And, yeah. you know, trying to keep that, you know, your energy just ordinarily starts working at half hour. Right. And then there's half hour and 15 and in places and intermission and how do you keep that in it you know yeah. you got to really yeah. work to keep that energy up and yeah. then still at the top of the second act there's about 10 minutes before, before i come, come home in. yeah you yeah. know it's it's a tough gig i didn't realize how tough it was yeah. you know i had done bobo and raising the sun but my call to the theater wasn't until 9 30 you know but i have to come here because of the fight call you know all right, right. yeah so it's it's really it's a nice challenge to know that I can sustain that energy, you know. And that's one of the things that uh, James pointed out to me, you know, like you got to really, you know, come on in there. You was not quite there. Mm. You kicked in later on. So, you know, that was nice, you know. Yeah. It, to me. Well, if I can just okay, yeah, sure. I mean, the other difficult thing for Ernest, and that really, what Ernest just said, I think, is, is, is much more, it's a subtle and much more complicated issue than it sounds because actors do have a process that mm -hmm. gets them, you know, Ralph Richardson famously said at three minutes past eight, we must dream, mm -hmm. you know, and you get yourself ready when everyone else is getting ready mm -hmm. and you're building and building. And then you have an hour and 15 minutes to just sitting sit backstage. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think that that's a, that's a very hard thing for yeah. an actor to do. And, and Ernest knows that his job when he gets on stage, he, he has to drive for 20 minutes, just drive the ship as fast as he can drive yeah. it. And that's very, very, very complicated to do. And plus, people have been talking about him for an hour and a half. You know, yeah. right. so, you know everybody's talking stage, about, the, yeah. about the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, it's like Sheridan Whiteside in The Man Who Came to Dinner. You know, the first five pages, everybody's just right. talking, yeah, talking, yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's an expectation that's built right. up uh -huh. about him as well. Yeah. So it, it's a Stoppard, it's a dirty trick on Stoppard's part. <laughs> well, and then on top of all that, I mean, to me, it's a very unusual Stoppardian character. I mean, he's mm -hmm. so seductive and so impressive. And then so scary. 
right? I mean, that was my reaction to him. Really? I don't know if that's how you see him. Really? But, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this, these, to me, these shifts in tone just on a dime in what right. you're doing. Right. Um, I wonder if you, would you be willing to do any just small excerpt oh, sure, of it? Sure, you sure. pick what you think you want to do. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't believe in that at all. They ask me, could they appoint a lobby correspondent to uh, KC? I said, fine, tell him to go and sit in the Sheraton. It is the most comfortable lobby in town. I know the British press is very attached to the lobby system. It lets the journalists and the uh, politicians uh, uh, feel proud of their traditional freedoms while giving the reader as much of the truth as they think is good for him. Thank you. That, so that gives people a feeling, first of all, for um, just I mean, the, the accent, the fact that you're someone speaking in a language that isn't your native language, all right. of that's coming through, a man of enormous power and confidence. Yeah. Uh, Well-educated in yes, England. right. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're, we're still him? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but it's, it's hard, you know, to, to go back and forth. Sometimes. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I was in the gas station today and was telling them about what a wonderful review we had in the Wall Street Journal, and I came out of the loo, and the guy says, you're in the accent. I said, oh, yeah, I'm rehearsing the lines. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all talk to Ginku in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Ginku, is, Ginku is there. You know, I would us. think that would be a bit uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> especially when he laughs, because <laughs> Ernest does that a lot. <laughs> well, Greg, I, part of the reason that I picked the two of you out of a real ensemble piece is because, in my mind, you represent night and day that uh, Ernest's character is night and Greg's character is day. That's obviously simplistic, but it, I feel like there are ways that, at least for me, that's how it resonated. Um, and, I, and I think also, Greg, it struck me anyway that there are times when you are speaking for Stoppard maybe more than is, could be comfortable for an actor. I don't know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like he's created someone to be his mouthpiece um, in your character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wondered if, there, if you have any observations to make about that or what, you know, how that affects how you see the character or if you even agree with me. Yeah, I think partly um, I do. I, I obviously say some things that uh, I think are, are gorgeous and, and uh, with which I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's incredibly idealistic. But what's great is that there's not that burden of, of heroism, uh, somebody who comes in speaks the truth and, and wins at the end of the day. I mean, I mean, his naivety, uh, his naivete as it were, uh, shows it, uh-huh. um, it, it gets him into trouble obviously without going so far as to say what happens in the play, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, he's not a perfect character by any stretch. In fact, um, there's a lot to be said for, uh, I don't want to say the cynicism, but at least the, the, the realism, mm-hmm. um, of the veteran correspondence right. and even of, of this, this knight character of Magiba. Magiba knows the dangers inherent in his situation with a free press. And mm-hmm. he makes the case that Kambao is not ready for that yet, which right. is why he's got a relatively free one. And so, and the arguments are, are, are complex and, and sometimes true for each character, I, I, I think. So it's great what I have mm-hmm. to say. And I think there is a lot of light, um, as it were, uh, uh, in, in, in what I say about the importance of a free press, mm-hmm. um, but it's also coupled with, with youth. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's, right. what, what is the adage? If you don't have a heart when you're young and uh, a mind when you're, what, what is it? Your, 
I don't know. I'm I'm totally bungling this thing. But it's about being conservative or liberal. You know, it's right. that it's that sense right. of yeah. Mm-hmm. He's young. He's got the biggest heart and the biggest right. sense of idealism. Yeah. Is there a, a short piece of of one of your monologues that would kind of convey some of what you uh, wrestle with as you're trying to learn to speak this stuff? Yeah. There's a. I won't go all the way through the end of it because it would just take up this entire podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of it which I think speaks to the idealism. Um, and the language, uh, mm-hmm. and he's talking about um, people who who write, you know, tabloidish pop mm-hmm. journalism, right. Right. and he even gives them the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of kind of wonderful. Uh, people think rubbish journalism is produced by men of discrimination who are vaguely ashamed of truckling to the lowest taste, but it's not. It's produced by people doing their best work. Proud of their expertise with a limited number of cheap devices to put a shine on the shit. Sorry, I know what I'm talking about because I started off like that. Admiring it, trying to be that good, looking up to Fleet Street stringers, London men, sometimes on big local stories. I thought it was great. Some of the best times in my life have been spent sitting outside the clapped-out Ford console outside a suburban house with a packet of polos and 20 players waiting to grab a crooked landlord or a footballer's runaway wife who might be good for one front page between oblivion and oblivion. And he goes on. Um, but uh, this, you know, he's spent time being these guys around the corner, these paparazzi or, or you know, these folks do that and, and still kind of relishes it and because it's part of this continuum mm. of a free press but it also has a lot of these commas and all these. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, right. So, so language-wise and and uh, sense-wise, it's. I think that's a little indicative. Of- well, so you know, your answer, I think, Greg, to the question of how do you turn an argument into dialogue, mm-hmm. was to think so hard about the emotion to connect it to the emotion. James, as a director, do you have any other answers to that? How do you keep these characters from being mouthpieces for arguments? Oh well, I, I think. First of all, you remind them always that they are arguing, and arguing is what's implicit in the word arguing is that you care about it. Right. And so if you can connect some kind of passionate belief in what you're saying, it just helps hugely. And I try to always keep things uh, – I mean, I have a just an innate sense of rigor about how to connect all the ideas in the play and you never get them all, you know, you, you miss some, but, but I think that the way that an audience kind of leans in all the time is if we've done our work so that Ernest knows that what he's, you know, that underneath all of what he's saying is about, is this tussle with what, how to use a free, you know, how, how he really believes in newspapers, mm-hmm. but what he's discovered is this tension that he has inside him of wanting to have a country that can afford to have many newspapers, but he just won't let that happen yet because he doesn't think the people are ready. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be a dictator just saying that that's his excuse, but I choose to take that at face value, which creates a more complicated, layered problem for the audience because they don't quite know who to root for yeah. and i'm a great believer in doing that to an audience so that they they can't just comfortably put people i think when i did the play 14 years ago um i let i i didn't push the actor playing magiba to be as complicated as Ernest mm-hmm. has made him uh nor did i push the actor who played jeff carson to be loving to his wife mm-hmm. because then it makes right 
you know, when we're confronted with our own selfishness, I mean, when an audience is confronted with someone acting selfishly, it it's easy to say, well, I would never do that. But at the same time, I think if you challenge them to show a person who really is caring, but who still does something selfish, they can identify that's him. a really complicated, that's a much more complicated yeah. story. And I think it, it makes us kind of look past our kind of glib responses in a play and makes us go, oh. I mean, two of the most exciting things I've had to do in the last five years were to direct Merchant of Venice and Henry V and tr- fiercely try to balance those plays so that you have no one to to sort of easily root for. No night and day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that Stoppard, this play, even though it's an early Stoppard play, coming back to it as an as an older man and mm-hmm. and, a, and a man who's lived, uh, you know, the usual complicated life of someone my age. Um, it makes you want to wring every little layer out, of it, yeah. you know, and 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 because good writers write layers into their plays, yeah. if you're willing to excavate them, right. then then I just think that's our job as artists is to get as much out of it so that the audience <laughs> the audience does this instead of this forward instead yeah. of sitting back. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, and Stoppard is certainly clever enough to. Uh, Make even hit even someone he doesn't agree with be very persuasive which and very learned, charming. Which he learned from Shaw. I mean, that was yeah. Shaw was famous for that. Yeah, yeah. Put the put the best arguments in the most hideous person's mouth. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's what right. he loved him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Stoppard is is not a very political person, mm-hmm. but being as he refers to himself as he was born in Czechoslovakia and he calls himself a bounced Czech. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but he the one thing that he has always been political about is is freedom, freedom of the press. Right. And he was a long time you know the first time he got involved actively in politics was with the Charter seventy seven movement in Czechoslovakia. And so he's and he's been a long time friend of Havel's and you know mm-hmm. I mean right. so he he really does that, this is the thing he cares most right. about and he will be most political about yeah yeah, yeah exactly and for for it being uh, thirty. Thirty-year-old play, you know, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the the talk about basement pamphleteers and and small local papers. And when you think, I mean, if you, you can easily transpose, you know, bloggers, people right. who communicate mm-hmm. uh, to smaller audiences, sometimes local audiences. The arguments are still, I think, so too. incredibly right rich. I mean, right. it's the 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 means have not mm-hmm. changed the the uh, the ears or the subscribers to those varying levels of of the media. Um, and uh, I was I was just my fiance's from a really small town. That's well, not it's there. There of course are smaller towns, but it's a small town in southern Illinois. And they have a paper that we get at our apartment, which lists you know who visited whom right. um, on a certain day and what they had for lunch and things like that. And and and, and it's it's gorgeous. And I and and I, yeah. I uh, and she kind of you know. Uh, I grew up outside Chicago, and she's like, "I bet this looks hilarious to you." And I said, "No, you know, it nice. doesn't. It's it's really it's yeah. really kind of amazing and 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 beautiful, especially when so many big papers are dying." And there's this line that that Milne has in the thing that it, well, he, he comes from a small paper, and he happens to be freelancing for the Globe, and he says. Um, the Grimsby Evening Messenger is a great deal more important around Grimsby than the Sunday Globe is around the Globe on any bloody day of the week, and uh, it's one of my favorite things to say because yeah. it's just um, in an ever-changing world of, right. of news media that sense of of the the timely, the daily, the local, mm, yeah. 
um, and how important that is right. uh, right. is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's one of the you, you talk about the the idea of the local and the importance of what is local, particularly in an age of media. And, and I think, in fact, one of the reviewers also made this connection, which is that theater is local. You, know, you have mm-hmm. to see um, Stoppard in your own town with your own actors, and Chicago's really lucky that uh, we had you to, to give us this play again. So thank you very much. Thanks, Anne. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Anne, very much. Pleasure.